you know, we've been going through the book of Romans, and uh, we, we kind of felt God's leading to go through the book of Romans, because in the book of Romans, Paul addresses a lot of the key areas of what it means to walk in God's worldview, his operating system. You know, we talked about how um, a worldview is really what we believe to be true. And what we believe to be true will determine what our beliefs are, you know, what our values are, and then really what our behavior and actions are and our attitudes, you know. And so for, even for Christians, we can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus and all that. But, but if we don't know what God's truth really is, we can be Christians and be operating in a different worldview. You know, and Don a few weeks ago, Don Cousins a few weeks ago said a couple of really key worldviews, uh, common worldviews is the me worldview, where, you know, me is the center of everything. And I'm going to tell you that that is one we're going to battle from now until Christ comes back. But we, at least we, if we see it and we, we're aware of it, we know when we're operating in that. The other one, a really powerful pull is, is the worldview of, is the cultural worldview, the worldview of our culture. What our culture tells us to be true or not or depends, you know? And, and that kind of influences us. And God's saying, really, you know, um, and my prayer has been, you know, throughout this series is that, that, that it would become crystal clear, that it would become crystal clear to you that God's worldview and all other worldviews are really, really different. And that when you really look at it, that you would choose to trust God and walk in his worldview because that makes the most sense, you know. And I just pray that as you grapple with this, that you would say, like, you know what? Yeah, God, will you help me? Because we need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do so. Paul, as he does in a lot of his books, most all of his letters that we find in the Bible, is that he starts off that letter with a lot of truth. So a lot of the chapters that we went through talking about truth, and then at the end, he concludes it by giving us pers- uh, practical applications. He said, here's the truth. This is what I need you to do. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. And so last week, we began that. Um, what is it? That God, what is it that Paul is instructing us? Uh, how do we walk in God's worldview? And, and he begins to focus at the end. He focuses on relationships. He kind of gets to the heart of everything, um, which are relationships. That relationships are the most important thing. In fact, that's why Jesus said in the greatest commandment, he says, this commandment is where every other commandment falls under. All right? This is the most important And it's like, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's loving God. That is the most important. Then he says, hey, the second is equally important. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandments are greater than that. What is he saying? He's saying that that the the most important thing in God's worldview is loving, is, is relationships, is loving God and loving others. You know, it's not about loving me. It's not about me. You know, it's not about, you know, what the culture is saying, getting rich, whatever. No, no, it's about loving God and loving others. God's worldview pretty much is, it's an other-oriented kind of life where you're going to focus on the people and, and God and the people around you. And he's saying is that if you would apply 
these truths, you would begin to walk in God's real worldview, you would experience what Jesus calls a rich and satisfying life. You see, that's the life that God wants us to live here on earth. It's not like we suffer here on earth and then we die and we go to heaven and, oh, you know, vacation. No. His rich and satisfying life starts now. And it continues for all eternity. You know? And that's why, you know, we pray, you know, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay? Your kingdom, your will. We pray that, right? Jesus said to pray that. Where do we pray that? Here. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth, right now, as it is in heaven. I mean, do you understand what Jesus is trying to tell us? He's saying, pray now that you would experience his will and his kingdom right here on earth as, it was, as, as it's going on in heaven right now. And, and when Jesus talks about the rich and satisfying life, he's saying it starts now. And it goes for all eternity. And, and, and if you would follow these instructions, I'm going to give you some instructions. And he says, you got to love God first. And he said, you know what? That's where it starts. And last week, from Romans 12, 1 to 3, we talked about that. We said, this is what God is saying. This is what we do. This is what we can do to love God, you know? Choose to be living sacrifices, you know, choose to go against the flow, choose to, to change the way we think and really focus on God. And then Paul begins, and we're going to talk about today, we're going to quickly look at some practical instructions that he gives us on how we can have a right relationships with others. He said we need a right relationship with God, but we need to have a right relationship with others. And we're going to look at that in a couple of chapters in Romans as he finishes up the book. And we're going to look at three of them because he, just, he lays out three. You know, in chapter 12 and 13, he lays out three, two of which probably might, kind of, sort of, might surprise you. All right? So if you've got your notes, you can follow along. The first one is this, pretty obvious one. God wants us, and Paul is giving us instructions for right relationships. Yeah, he wants to have right relationships with others in the family of God. That, that, that Paul is saying, okay, I'm going to give you instructions now. How to really get along and have right relationships with others in this thing we call the church. God's family, his church. And, and the first thing we need to do, how do we get, Paul is saying, that you got to see yourself for who you really are. you got to see yourself for who you really are, not what you think you are or not what you want to be, but who you really are. And the whole deal is you got to be humble. He's saying be humble, all right? Verse 3, chapter 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. It's instruction, this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Right? Pretty clear, right? Don't think... You are better than what you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourself, how? By what you see around you? No, by the faith God has given us. And right relationships with with others in God's family starts with an attitude of humility. And, And humility is not thinking that we are better than we are, Paul is saying, it's just looking at ourselves honestly. You know, the word humility really is the word that we get humiliation from. And, you know, we want to like, sometimes we want to like, kind of like soften what that word, but the, the word really literally means putting your face against the ground. 
That's humility, right? You can imagine, all right, we're going to practice humility. All right, everybody now, boom, you know, that's what that is. You know, and that's what that means. But it's an attitude of that where you're going to humble, you're going to humble yourself. And, and, and this is easier said than done because our sin-infected nature doesn't want to do that, doesn't want to humble ourselves. Uh, we naturally think well of ourselves, right? And um, in high school, my friends used to tease me, and you're going to find it's really hard to believe because God has really totally transformed my life. But they used to tease me saying that, yeah, Mark, you know what you are? You're a legend in your own mind. You know, that's what they all say. Yeah, there he goes, a legend, the legend in his own mind. And you know the truth is, I kind of was a legend only in my mind, right? And it's so easy to have an inflated view of yourself. But Paul is saying that right relationships within the body of Christ is going against the flow and having an attitude of humility. Not only that, he says, not only is you see yourself for who you really are, you've got to be humble. The other thing is that you've got to see others as valuable parts of one body, Christ's body. And so pretty much what he's saying is, you know, you know that phrase, right? Be humble, no grumble. That's what he's saying, you know? Be humble, no grumble. Verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you a gift is serving, you know what? Serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And he's saying everybody in the church, in God's family, is important. You know, that, that you need us and we need you. You know, we need each other. And so instead of being critical of others, and that's really easy to do, right? To be critical. And then we soften that by saying, well, you know, I'm not really being critical. I'm just being honest. But, but instead of being critical... Be humble, no grumble, and be the best that you can. See, that's what Paul is saying. Just be the best that you can. Focus your energies on who God created you to be and look to bless others. Instead of going like, oh, look at that. You know what? Just focus your energy on how God created you and, 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 and bless. And that's why he said, you know what? If God has blessed you with the gift of prophecy, then go out and just encourage the heck out of people. Just do that. If, if God has given, blessed you with um, the gift of service to serve, then you just serve others with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Right? You just go. Right? If it's, um, if it's to, to give, then you give with a generosity not seen in the world. That people are like, whoa, what's going on? See? And, and he's saying, don't look at others and, looking and evaluating what they're doing or not doing, because it's easy to get into that. But, but instead, just be responsible for yourself and do your part and bless others, you know? It, it's like that, the secret for having great friends, right? Like, you know, I, I never forgot that. How, you know, people say, well, how do you get good friends? You know, here's the secret. What is the secret of having good friends? 
If you want great friends, you got to be a great friend, right? You heard that, right? You want great friends, then you be a great friend. If you want a great spouse, be a great spouse. If you want good brothers and sisters, you be a good brother or sister. If you want right relationships with other Christians, then you be humble, you don't grumble, and you serve others with all that God has blessed you with. You see, you know, sometimes, you know, I come here in the morning, and, and you know, I'm just like, just focused in on what God wants to do, right? And when there's little things going wrong, I just get irritated, right? Today was one of those days. I got like irritated. I got back there telling Shasha, I just get like that, right? And then I come up here, and I look, and God says, hey, don't, don't be critical out there. Just focus on yourself, right? Pastor Sonny came up to me. He goes, just, you know, just calm down. Just focus on the message. And I was like, who do you think? No, I said, yeah, right. right? You don't want to hear that, like, yeah, yeah, come on. If you guys got it right, then, you know, right, you go. And, and God is saying, look, don't be critical. It's easy. Be humble. Don't grumble. And you know what? Do what God's called you, and you do it the best you can, all right? The other thing about loving others in, and, and, and having right relationships, you know, we got we to gotta look at ourselves and be honest about ourselves. You know, that we got to look at other people as, as precious. And then we got to really love others, okay? Not just what we think. we got to really love others. Romans 12, 9 says this. Don't just pretend to love others. See, Paul is, I love, Paul's really clear. He said, don't, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Okay, he goes on. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident home, be patient in trouble, keep praying. When people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to, to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and really don't think you know it all. I like how we had, don't think you know it all, right? And he's saying, loving, really loving others is not easy. It's not always going to be easy. It, it's, it's, it's more than just putting up a front. Hi, how are you? You know, right? And then in your mind, you're like, hmm, right? No, too often we make a mistake of what love really is. Paul is saying that the love isn't just faking it. You know, love is, is, is not just putting up, putting up with hurtful or harmful behaviors of others. You know, I hear so much in the church that people go, oh, that's just the way they are. Well, you know what? If you really love that person, you wouldn't want your friend to go around demonstrating jerky behavior, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to get frustrated, and then you're not helping them. You know, they're going to go, and people, they're going to, they're going to offend people, and they, they're going to come back, and they go, oh, I don't know what's wrong. And you kind of know what's wrong, but you're chicken. You don't want to say anything because you don't want to love. That's love, you know? And if anybody should have 
or a genuine love, Paul is saying, that's what we need to do. Yes, we extend grace as Jesus has extended grace to us. Yes, we think of others before we think of ourselves as Jesus has done with us. And yes, we love others in the family of God enough to, to lovingly turn them back, turn them back to Christ when the behavior and actions are just kind of hurtful and harmful, just as Christ has done with us. And just as important, we allow others to turn us back when we're messing up. And can you imagine if we were in an environment where we loved each other enough to want the very best for each other? And it's not like we're just going to be like, ah, there you go, harmful behavior, harmful behavior. No, no, it's not that. But that we won't put up, right, and, and, and let that person hurt themselves. And I would love, and I tell the staff, and I tell others, say, you know, when you see me doing stuff I shouldn't do, you got to call me on it. You got to call me on it, you know, and because that's real love. Right relationships in the family of God means we choose to really love each other. Here's the thing. When you feel something and you know you got to talk to somebody, right, this is what I do. I, I just say, before I talk to them, because I know I got to talk to them, right, I got to ask myself, am I talking because the main motivation of my heart is because I'm irritated, I'm mad, and now I'm going to let them have it. If that's the case, I don't talk to them. If I can honestly say to myself, I think I need to talk to them because I love them. You know, I really do love them. If I have that love, then I'll talk. And most times than not, it works out a whole lot better, right? You know, and so right relationships and the family of God means we choose to really love each other. Second area, interesting area, why Paul would, would, would cover this. He says, he's giving us instructions to have right relationships with our enemies. Yeah, with our enemies. God's worldview leads us to love, surprisingly, even our enemies. Okay? So we've got to define what enemies are. Right? Okay? An enemy is defined as someone who is actively opposed or hostile to you. Okay, that's, that's an enemy. Because okay? enemy sounds really harsh. But at the same time, you're in a situation where someone is actively you know, opposing you or they're hostile to you. Whether it's deserved or not, there are times when we go through these kinds of situations and relate. We, for whatever reason, a lot of times we bring it upon ourselves. Other times it's not deserved just because of who we are, what we believe, whatever it is, you know, our values, whatever, that people will actively oppose or be hostile. How are we supposed to respond? You know, how are we supposed to respond? Look what Paul says, verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Shucks. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everybody. He's talking about enemies, right? Dear friends, never take revenge. Don't take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. God is all wise. He knows. 
Well, the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, say, bummers, you shouldn't have been so rotten. No, it says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. You know, if they're thirsty, tell them how delicious your drink is. No, it's, you know, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. On their heads, don't let evil conquer you. But how do you conquer evil? By doing good. And I tell you what, there are times we all want, or maybe it's just me, maybe it's me and Neil Moore coming, that we want to follow the instructions of that bumper sticker. Don't get mad, get even. See, Miley knows. Kahuku, yeah, right? Kahuku, right, yeah, that's how. Winner's side, that's how. Don't get mad, get even, right? We want to do that, but Paul's instructions are really different. The worldview, that God, God's worldview is really different. He says, don't get even. Don't even just ignore it. Don't let it bother you. No, he's saying, don't get even. You do good. You actively do something good. You rise above. You take the high road. You take the God world, world, uh, road. And, and he's saying, be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, is what he's saying, right? And as Alan Cardenas likes to say, you know, Pastor Alan likes to say, you got to bless, no blast, right? Bless your enemies. How? With your words, your, your actions, and your thoughts. And, and, and when you're faced with hostility, trust God to take care of that situation. Because he's all-knowing. He's all-wise. You can trust him. And he said, my God, this is like, this is, you know, I don't know what their trip is, right? But you're going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. If you want to do something, that's your kuleana. My kuleana is what? I'm going to do good. I'm going to do good, right? Anyone can return evil for evil. Anybody can do that. We all want to do that. Most of us, some of us, me. But, but God's worldview leads us to the truth that the only way to overcome evil is with good. If we return evil for evil, all we do is we add, fire, we add fuel to that fire, right? We just add fuel to the fire, and what happened? Evil wins. Evil wins. But, but when we choose to trust God and do good and bless, you win, and evil loses. Jacob de Chaser was a pilot in World War II, and, and he was on a mission to bomb Tokyo. And, uh, but, you know, as they went on, they got hit by enemy fire. They had to land um, behind enemy lines, and uh, he was captured. And then he was in a prison camp for almost two years, just being tortured. And it was, it was really a hard time. And, 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 and one of the blessings they had was the prisoners could have some kind of reading material. And in his camp, there was like one Bible. And he had to wait about six months to get that Bible. When you're in a prison camp, People Magazine doesn't do it. Okay? But, you know, even as uh, pe people who don't know Jesus, there's something in that Bible. He didn't know Jesus, but he thought oh, he, he waited six months to get the Bible. He gets the Bible. He begins to read through the Bible. He reads Romans, and he gives his life to Jesus. And as he's reading he immediately realizes that, that he's got to make some changes, right? 
Because the worldview that, that he's finding, the truth that's in the scriptures, is a whole lot different than what he feels and what he sees around him. And he says, but you know what? I got to make some changes, and I got to do it now while I'm in prison, and, and also beyond that, should I ever be released? And he knew Jesus had called him. As he was reading, he couldn't get around it. He knew Jesus was calling him to love his enemies, right? And, and so he said, all right. And then one day, the Shazer's guard hurried him back toward his shell, shoved him inside. His leg got caught by the door, and he, his foot got caught in the door, and he slammed the door on his foot, right? And instead of opening the door and letting him get in, the guy just kept kicking his foot. So finally, you know, he just pushed the door and got his foot, foot in. And he said that his mind was blazing with anger, right? Makes sense. Right? He was just angry with rage. But then he remembered Jesus' words to love his enemies, to bless those who curse you, do good, you know, to them that hate you, and to pray for them. He knew he had a choice to make, to follow God's instructions, and the next morning was going to be the test, all right? So the next morning comes, and the Shazer greets that guard respectfully in Japanese. The guard looks at him kind of weird, and he would do this the next day, and the next day. And then one morning, the guard just walked straight to his cell, and he spoke to him through the door. And from that time on, he said that that guard began to treat him with respect and kindness, even bringing him treats now and then. And... Later, Jacob the Shazer, what he did was he returned to, after he, he got released, the war ended, the whole thing, he returned to Japan with his wife as missionaries, and he spent the next 30 years spreading the good news about Jesus uh, to a country and a people who are once his enemies. You see, we, we can have right relationships. God wants us to have. Paul gives us instructions to have right relationships even with our enemies. The third one, and this one is really surprising. Okay, this one is hard. Okay? It's hard. Right. Paul is giving us instructions to have right relationships with governing authorities. Okay? Why would Paul give instructions about this arena in our lives? And I thought about it, prayed about it. I said, you know, what is that? And I believe the Holy Spirit was, began to open my eyes and, and to, to see why this is so important. You know, I began to see and, and, and just think about all the disrespect showed, sh- you know, shown to, to people who have been serving, who are faithfully serving in law enforcement recently, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the things that people say about police in general and stuff, it's just shameful. It's just shameful, you know? The hate toward elected officials, unprecedented. Man, it's, it's, like, it's like, man, proud to be an American. You know, it's, it's rough. Even within our schools and our classrooms, you know, I hear sad stories of disrespect and dishonor toward high school coaches, which, you know, I, I've, you know, I have relationships with a number of high school coaches who've put in so much time and energy for very, very little financial compensation. Some are actually volunteering to, to, to serve as coaches. And I believe Paul is addressing this because, because it really does affect the very fabric of our culture and our society. In, verse, in Romans 13, verse 1 to 7, he writes this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, period. For all authorities come from God, and those in positions of authorities have been placed there by God, P. 
period. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authority? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you do wrong, they have the the power to punish you. And he says, you know, he goes on. He says, you know, if they, they say pay your taxes. You know what? By all means, pay your taxes. You know, they're serving God, he says. And he says, you've got to give them the respect and honor of those who are in authority. Now, we say, wow, Paul, you're not living in our days. Paul was living in a time where persecution was beginning. It was going to ramp up, but it was, it was hard. Nero and... And just the, these, these mean emperors were, were right there. And, and the culture that he was living in, it wasn't nice people leading them. You had, you had tax collectors who were ripping people off. You know, it, was, it was a corrupt society as well. It was a mess. And, and, and Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That living according to God's worldview is not always easy and there are times we just got to go against the flow. Sometimes we just got to, by faith, follow instructions that God is, is telling us. And, and, and what he's saying is that when it comes to those in authority over us, you got to choose to trust God with, with those who are in authority. You got to choose to trust God. God is in control. That's what Paul is saying. We don't always understand what God's doing. We don't always like what is happening. But we choose to trust God. And that word submit means to voluntarily place yourself under. It's not that they're going to shove your head down. No, it's we voluntarily place ourselves under their authority. Submitting is is trusting God enough to, 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 to choose to place yourself under. Do you agree with everything they do? No, never going to do that. Uh, okay, does it mean we're a slave? No, no, you're not a slave. You know, it's the same thing in a healthy marriage. God instructs wives, his instructions for wives is to submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And again, it's like wives. No, husbands, you don't just say, submit. No, wives, you voluntarily place yourself under. Now, here's the thing. There are couples, you look at them, and the wife appears and is a far more competent leader. doesn't matter. They submit themselves under, they come in alignment, and God begins to, to, to bring a healthier relationship, you see? God knows what he's doing. We just got to trust him. And I've seen where, where, where some wives who, who were just so much, they were a, a, a far more powerful leader. And her husband, like, kind of a whip, right? But... but Oh, praise God for these godly women who voluntarily place. And you know what? You know what was the weird thing? Husband began to rise up in a real healthy way. That's what Paul is saying for us and those who are in authority over us. That we gotta, we gotta, we gotta trust God on that. We gotta choose to trust God and follow their instructions. Paul says, "Don't be a rebel. Instead, you're asked to pay taxes, do whatever. You know what? Then do it." Follow their instructions. All of it? I would say all of it, except their exceptions. If, if, 
if it goes against God's truth and what is right, you got to make a choice. Like in Daniel 3, you know, Daniel's three friends not bowing down, you know. Got to make a choice. But if it's, if it's not, if it's not immoral, if that's what it is, you know, even if it's a whole bunch of taxes, you know, just suck it up and pay. That's what he said. You got to choose to trust God and follow their instructions. And then we got to choose to trust God and respect and honor those in authority. Okay? Like in any other relationship, we cannot change someone else, but we can change ourselves. We can change our attitudes. It is so easy, too easy to sit on the side and criticize and say not so nice things about those in authority, especially those in our government. You know, when I was reading this, the Lord just really convicted me because, you know, just the day before I was saying, oh, you know, our governor, our governor, blah, blah. You know, I was like, man, as if I could do better. Maybe. No. See? Bad. But, you know, I was criticizing and I felt like the Lord said, no, Mark. Why are you criticizing? Because he's not doing a good job. Well, then, what, what, do, we, what do we say in, in, in Timothy? It says to pray. Have you been praying for him? Uh, nope. Start praying for him. Yeah. You know, it's a mess. What I, I, I just so, and I hear it in the church, okay? The church here in Hawaii, I hear Christians and some of the comments they make about the mayor, the governor, the president, and, and, and I'm ashamed, to be honest. You know, that, that um, we don't have to like them. We don't have to agree with everything they do. But I hear so much hate. You know, just hateful things that people say. And I believe that I don't think it makes God smile. And I think that's why Paul says, hey, guys, trust God. And you give those in authority respect and honor. You honor them. You respect them. You, instead of blasting, you bless. You know, you got to pray. Give an example. Years ago, there was a president. His name was Bill Clinton. I did not like Bill Clinton. Did not like him. Thought he was a not very good person. Okay, that's my personal opinion, all right? And I was like, yeah, Bill Clinton, blah, 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 blah. It was terrible. Until I was asked, we did a series, and the series was, what would Jesus say to, and we took, you know, like the president, Bill Clinton, what would he say to Madonna, what would he say to all these different well-known people? What would Jesus actually say to them? So Pastor Calchidin says, hey, Mark, why don't you do, because he, he said, why don't you do the president? Oh, come on. I'll do the president? So I started to pray. I said, God, what would Jesus say? And you know what? As I began to work on that message, God began to work on me. And God says, hey, I know you don't like him. Probably don't like you either. Why don't you just start praying for him? Nope. Why don't you just start praying for him? I guess so. I start praying for him. Every day I said, just will you bless President Clinton? Will you give him wisdom that he is our president. None of this baloney, he's not my president, kind of, I was going to say a bad word, but that junk, okay? But, but I prayed. I said, God, will you bless the president? Will you bless President Clinton? It became 
will you bless our president? Which became, will you bless my president? At the end, I still didn't agree with a lot of things. But I can honestly say, even to this day, there's a special place in my heart for Bill Clinton. I love Bill Clinton. You know, I, I pray. I pray for him even now, every so often. Well, you got to pray for me. I pray for you, Bill. I am. You see? But it just changed. Bill Clinton, I don't know if he changed. That was a horrible impression of Bill Clinton. But, but he probably never changed. I don't know. But I know I changed. You know, I know I changed. Was he the greatest president ever? I don't know. I, don't, I just, he was my president. I love him. And God is saying, choose to trust him. And respect and honor those in authority. Teachers, that'd be a principal. Right? That's our mayor. You know, that's our governor. That's our president. That's all our elected officials. Church, that's your pastor. No, 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 no. No, you know what I mean? At work, it's your boss. Gotta respect. In all your relational areas, the key is love. That's it. Paul finishes up. He says, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. See, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Right? And he, he goes on, you know what? You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. All these things. He says, all these commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does, does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Our culture promotes tolerance. But the truth is, that kind of tolerance sounds really great, but it's not love. It's not love. Josh McDowell, author and speaker, writes, he says, Tolerance says you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says you must agree with me. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will tell you the truth because I'm convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says, you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you are worth the risk. Tolerance says, tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies divisions. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs Everything. Paul's instructions, not tolerance. No, he's saying, you got to love. You got to really love. That's Paul's instructions for us having right relationships in our lives and experiencing a rich and satisfying life. I'm going to call the worship team up. And as they come up, I want to say, like, you know, if you're like me, <coughs> human, and it's hard. Then we're going to ask God to help. It starts with having a right relationship with God. And for some of you, it means to accept Jesus as your Savior. That's where it starts. For others, it's, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to love God with everything I've got. And for a lot of us, it's, hey, I'm like you. I get mad. I want to get even. In fact, there are people in your lives right now that you're probably like, ugh. You know, there are probably people in governing authorities that you've 
been critical like I have. You've said some pretty not-so-great things. It's a time to just repent. We just repent. All right, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. All right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us into a prayer to accept Jesus. Never done that. Do that. Not just do business with God. All right, Father, we just come. And we say we need a right relationship with you. And so I'm going to humble myself and say, Jesus, I need you. Will you come and be my Savior, that you died on that cross for me? Because I, I, yeah, I just mess up. And I know my messing up results in separation from you and death. Will you come and be my Savior? I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior right now. But others is like, you know, Father, you know our hearts, and I've messed up. There's even someone and people in the church that I don't have a right relationship. Will you help me in that? And others, there's some enemies that you have. Like, oh man, God, help me to bless, not bless. To be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And Father, you know, there are people here who just like me, just like to criticize those in authority. He says, don't do that. Give them honor and respect. Trust me. And so we just come to you, we humble ourselves. Thank you.